Good morning and welcome to Faithbrook. My name is Josh Friesen and I'm one of the volunteer hosts here at Faithbrook. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we are so thankful and excited that you've joined us for worship today. Here at Faithbrook, we want everybody to be known and get connected. So if you're newer here in the seat in front of you, there's a blue connection card. Please consider filling it out and dropping it in the giving boxes on the way out today. Or if you want to do a digital version, you can go to our website at faithbrook.church connect. Either way, we'll have somebody from our staff reach out to you and thank you for coming today. At Faithbrook, we love God, love people, and journey together. And a great way that you can accomplish all three of those things is through prayer. We truly believe in the power of prayer and have seen God do some incredible things through it. Remember those little blue cards we were talking about earlier? They are not just for new people. They are for everyone, as they also double as prayer request cards. So if there's something on your mind, feel free to fill one of those out and drop it in the giving box on the way out. We have an incredible prayer team that would love the opportunity to pray for you. If it's something that maybe you just want to share with the pastoral staff, feel free to mark it as private. Or if you want to join that prayer team, you can indicate that as well on the card. Well, in just a second, we're going to welcome our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we wrap up our series, Marriage with Benefits. How many of you would say that you have spark in your marriage? There's some heat and passion going on, something like this picture right here. There's a lot of spark happening in your marriage. Would that that describe your relationship with your spouse? Now, the tradesmen will know that this is an act of welding. And welding is one of the most popular uh, events or exercises uh, tradesmen use to join two separate pieces of metal to bond them to make them one unit and strong. There's different ways that pieces of metal can come together and be attached, but welding is the choice of a lot of tradesmen. They find it's the most efficient, it's the most versatile, and ultimately has the greatest strength. Now, I don't know how many tradesmen we have in the room, but uh, welding is a combination of both heat and pressure gained on two different pieces of metal to change their molecular structure, uh, to even kind of smelt them, if you will, together. And when the heat and the pressure come together, there is a transformation and there is a joining and a bonding that they say that is stronger together than it was their original two separate pieces of metal. And this act of welding is celebrated and seen throughout society today. Uh, We know that it's part of the structures for uh, skyscrapers to bridges. There's machinery that has been welded. Even the car that you uh, came to church this morning with has been welded together. But what if we could have our marriages that strong? What if we could have the benefit of such intimacy and bonding that it weathers the storms, there, there's a joy, and there is a relationship with a lot of benefits that come from this joining, this welding together. Now, this picture of two pieces of metal coming together to form one piece is really the picture of God when God had in mind to create, when he created man and a woman. 
And in a beautiful uh, matrimony way that they would join together to last through their life and even experience some benefits. And that's why we have been exploring this subject of marriage. In fact, we call it marriage with benefits. Um, Last I I looked at a lot of times marriages are not doing that well. Uh, There's a lot of discontentment. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of just going through the motions and the benefits and the joys of average marriages today is not where it should be. And that's why we've been on a quest to discover maybe some elements, maybe some functions, some practices to improve our marriages, to keep them together. Could it be that God wants to improve your marriage? Could it be that God wants to teach you something? to grow you and mature you, that it, it, it spills over into your relationship with your spouse. And so I want to welcome you today. Um, I'm Jim, and thanks for coming today. I, I know we have some singles in the house. We have some teenagers in the house. We have some married couples in the house. And we're going to be endeavoring on a, on a pretty um, uh, so, uh, dicey subject today. It's about intimacy, another word for sex. I don't know the last time you heard a preacher talking about sex or intimacy. Frankly, I'm a little nervous about it myself, all right? But what we're going to discover is that God's design, designed intimacy to deepen our marriage bond, to deepen our marriage bond, that there are layers and foundations of trust and love and friendship and honesty that even spills over into our marriage bed. Now, uh, there, th- this subject is kind of taboo. Uh, there's some awkwardness, especially if maybe if you're a teenager and kids, uh, parents, uh, I'm sorry, there might be some kids in the house of teenagers, but let me, may, may, may you give me a chance to argue for a God's view of sexuality? Would you give me a chance to, just to uh, uh, give you some principles of how God views uh, sexuality? We know that uh, our kids today, our teenagers today, are going to be indoctrinated by the world. The world has a lot to say about sexuality. It's very common out there. And actually, there's a lot of sex talk or teaching in the Bible that if, if dispelled well, um, shared, maybe can help us all from being a single to a young person to being a married couple. See, I believe that if we approach it properly, this sexual intimacy topic, it can deepen our marriage bond. Now, if you will, if you look in the Bible, you'll see there's a lot of references to sex and intimacy because it's, there's one way how God designed sexuality and there's a way he did not design sexuality. And uh, the world, a lot of times, is going to share it in a different way. Um, but we'd, I'd like to share it in a more holy way of God's design of his righteousness and love for everyone as we, as we grow, as even in our marriage relationships, and, and go forth. So where I'd like to go is just some baseline scriptures today. I want to start off with the words of Christ. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus was kind of confronted about his view of marriage, his view of sexuality, and uh, they kind of were asking him, hey, Jesus, what do you think about maybe, uh, you know, divorce, adultery? In other words, you know, this marriage unit thing, is it that big of a deal? Uh, Can people just have options with it? Uh, Where are you at with that? And this is what he said back to him in verse 6 through 9. But at the beginning of creation, God made male and female. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Jesus is quoting back in Genesis, the original account of God created humanity, a man and a a woman. And he starts sharing about this picture of his will of a man and woman coming together, leaving and clinging to become one unit. And when he uses the word one flesh, that's like the Old Testament word for sex. When two come together, they become one. And if you do a deep dive on that term, becoming one, it means to, to know. It's, it's such a divine, deep relationship that two become one, like that welding process, that there is a transformation, there is a bonding and a unification of two becoming one. It's a holy thing. Now, as civilization grew, uh, people got more civilized, and the institution of a, a marriage and a wedding started taking place throughout world history. Two people fell in love with each other, or sometimes they were arranged. And so there was a start, and there was a covenant, and there was a beginning. Maybe some of you experienced a, a marriage uh, or a wedding. I, re, I remember my time um, 34 years ago, right? And there were some pledges, and there were some promises made to my beautiful wife. I stood before God. I stood before my family. I stood before my friends, and I promised my fidelity. I promised my my trust. I promised my uh, goodness towards her, for better and worse, richer or poor, for poor, the death do us part. I pledge my love to you. And inside this covenant, inside this promise, she looked into my eyes. And, and we both looked at each other's eyes and said, man, this is for real. This is us, no matter what happens. And because of that, there was a trust to start exploring uh, the sexual um, intimacies and, and exercises there. And when, so when Jesus said, man, what God joined together, he was saying, don't mess with it. It's holy. It's sacred. It's, it's forever for, for uh, uh, what God designed. Don't play around with this. Now, I would suggest to you that the culture kind of has a a different view of sex, a lower view, if you will. A lot of times our culture today kind of has cheapened sex uh, rather than seeing sex as maybe a gift, a gift for one individual. Uh, Sometimes it's like, well, it's something to be explored. We're all sexual creatures, right? And we kind of hold it casually. It may be something we can recreate with, right? A lot of times we equate sex with love. And if you love, then of course you need to have sex and on and on and on. Before you know it, there's a pregnancy that happens and we're like, oh, what happened there? I didn't know. I thought it was just a a recreational sport, right? Now we have to do something with this unique individual baby. Is it true that, that sex equals love and love equals sex? Isn't it true that dogs have a lot of sex if they're not neutered? Do we say that dogs fall in love with each other? No, a lot of times dogs are in heat rather than love, right? And so God's love, his view of sexuality is much deeper, uh, much more holy and special than just urges or some recreation or so casual um, relationship that we can have. God invented sex 
for pleasure. He invented this uniqueness between two people, a monogamous covenant relationship that are going to go the distance to enjoy each other and benefit from it. And we see some of these indications throughout the scriptures. For instance, if you go back into the Old Testament, right in the middle of the Old Testament, there's this unique poetic uh, book called Song of Solomon. It's not preached about much, but it's really a love story. And it's a really kind of romantic, sexy tone towards King Solomon and his wives, how they pursued each other romantically and even sexually. Why would that be in the Bible? Because it's really a picture of how God pursues us. He is so in love with you that he went to the cross and died for your sins, that if you would love him back, if you would come together with him, you would be one. In the New Testament, it talks about that Christ is the groom and the church, you and me are the bride. And one day in heaven, there's going to be a wedding feast. And so we see this parallel back in the Song of Solomon, the first chapter. It's described this way. <clears throat> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Sounds pretty uh, provocative, doesn't it? And here we see this picture of this beautiful relationship, a sexual relationship that is unique, that is enjoying, that is bonded together in this love relationship. Not to mention that the sex can actually uh, continue uh, the human race with procreation. But in God's mind, sex has always been a gift between two people who have committed their lives together. The journey with him and, and journey along. It's kind of like a wedding ring. Uh, wedding rings that are they're individually bought, they're individually created. When we give our wedding ring to our spouse on that wedding day, we're really, we're saying to this person, there's no other ring that is for you. I give my ring to you. You give your ring to me. And when we walk around with these rings, it's a symbol that our love is for each other. This ring is not for anybody else. It's not to just be traded around whenever you feel, feel like it, but it's special. It's for your finger only. And it's for your eyes only. My body, my sexuality is a gift to you and vice versa on that wedding day. Now, I would contrast this to um, the world that might say, well, a, a sex kind of is kind of like a shoe. You know, if you're going to get together, then you got to try on the shoe to see if you're compatible, right? But I have found through the, the years that a lot of times this trips us up later into that one person that we've found that we want to marry, now, all of a sudden, we realize that those sexual encounters in the past kind of trip us up. We start realizing this person that we've pledged to has been with other multiple maybe partners. And so all of a sudden, there's a worry. There's a little bit of angst. There's a little bit of comparison. Uh, how do I measure up in, in our sex lives come other people? And, and before I know, there's some regrets. There can be some guilt. There should be some skeletons in the closet. And that's why, my friends, that's why God is like, hey, don't deteriorate this. Don't distort it. And so in the Bible, there are warnings. There's boundaries and instructions. For instance, let's say 1 Corinthians. There's baby Christians in this new church of, of Corinth. And so Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. What, what is the Apostle Paul trying to say there? Uh, that this is just not a casual sin. This is something that goes deeper. It marks us. It's emotional. It's very personal. So every time you, you participate in a sexual way that is outside of God's boundaries, really you're just kind of giving things away. You're giving your soul away. You're giving your body away. There's a tearing. There's a deterioration of this holy gift that God has designed for each one of us to give to our, our spouse on that wedding night and that wedding day. Now, and I know that, that a lot of you are thinking, man, Jim, you are so old school. You're like ancient school, man. You're totally out of touch. What are you talking about? Waiting and giving this gift of, of your sex and your, soul, your sexuality to somebody on your, your wedding day. This is what God wants us to offer, like a wedding ring, that it's only uniquely for your spouse, that we care for the rest of our life, that we don't have to worry about past and skeletons, and, and it's just our private, innocent, pure relationship that only we know about. There's a comfort in that. There's a security in that. There's a benefit and a blessing in that. That's why God calls us to control our urges and our natures, to, to keep them within a locked-in covenant relationship where God is there with us. And God gives us this, this safety and this, uh, this innocence uh, that we don't have to be worrying about all the other people we've been with. It's our gift to each other. And I would suggest to you that if we properly approach sexual intimacy, it can be a benefit in our marriages to deepen our marriage bond, just like two pieces of metal being fused together. However, many of you know that this is not always ideal. Many of you know that it, it is a struggle. There's a lot of frustration in marriages and relationship. Uh, the researchers tell us it's one of the top three things couples fight about. They're going to fight about marriage. They're going to fight about sex. They're going to fight about uh, family or parenting. It's right up there. And so some of you might be asking, some not. So, you know, Jim, how, how can we find a better benefit in our marriage when it comes to intimacy? Uh, when do we get to the good stuff, if, if you will? Well, that's why we have set this sermon aside for the last of the three. The first one had to do with trust. So valuable if we're going to have marriage with benefits. Trust is the foundational benefit of marriage. I would suggest to you that a lot of times there has been some wounding. There has been some mistrust. There, there's been some problems in our marriage. And we have to take time to, to tear down that wall brick by brick to forgive, to understand each other, to even get to the intimacy part. We have some work to be done that God to heal us and to forgive and get on the same page. The second message I talked about last week is that friendship, is, friendship in marriage requires intentionality. Intentionality. A lot of times it's going to take some time. It's going to take some, some work. Uh, we can either just kind of have a, a drifting marriage, we can have a, a, a party marriage or a divorce marriage, but if we really want to have a marriage with benefit, then we had to pay the price and find some time. And we shared about Terry and I, we've had to carve out some time in our busy schedule to say, hey, let's work on us. And, and I offered a couple of questions that we go through. Uh, one, you know, what's on your calendar? You start looking at your calendar, really, you're really telling your priorities in your life. And you can discuss that. The, the next question is, most times people are carrying something. 
What are you carrying? I want to listen. I want to build that friendship. I want to build that trust. Are you worried about something? And there you become a listener. You start um, getting closer to each other. The third one was, there might be something bugging you. Maybe there's something between us. Maybe I hurt you. Maybe I said something. Maybe I haven't come through. And can we be honest? And if we can set that atmosphere, that safe atmosphere, not to attack each other, but just to be honest with each other. Say, man, I need to share that last week. Next thing you know, you're, you're growing that trust. You're growing that friendship. And it spills over into, if you will, the bedroom, the, the pleasure and the benefit of our sex lives. And in that friendship component, we talked about the, 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 the action of learning together. To learning together. And I would suggest to you, a lot of times, we don't know that much about sexuality. We just bump into each other and maybe it's good one time and next time it's not and and what goes on and and so if we take the time to learn about each other's personality where we're from uh our give and takes what we're carrying but also we can learn about intimacy when's the last time that together we learned about the nuances of intimacy now, if you're willing to, to learn about the differences, you'll learn that there's a lot of differences between men and women and that they are actually wired differently. On the average, uh, women kind of think it's about sex, sexuality a little bit different than men on the average. I'll never forget, I don't know how many years ago, uh, I ran into this difference. I was looking at a survey uh, about the importance or the value of, of sex in, in a marriage, right? And how the men rank the importance of sex, okay? And they kind of had a scale one to 25. Asked these men, you know, how important is sex to you? Well, uh, it ranked like the top three, right? They say that men are thinking about it all the time. It's just, it's super important, right? Then they asked the women, where you rank the importance of sex on the one to 25? And I'll never forget that the women ranked it as number 14. Number 14 out of 25. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? 14, right? All the men are like one, two, three, right? And the women, 14, what gives? And then I said, well, what outranked, you know, the importance of sex? What's number 13? So I'm looking at the thing. You know what outranked sex for women? The, the value of gardening. Gardening of all things. I'm like, great. I'm so in trouble. We are definitely wired differently. We see it at a different value, right? And no wonder there's collisions. And that's why it's so important to try to understand how we're wired. Is there a difference instead of having all this conflict and frustration and disappointment? Uh, one of the most uh, profound statements to do with marriage comes way back in the New Testament when Peter was writing to men and women in marriage situations in 1 Peter chapter 3. And this is what he said to the guys. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Something was going on in their relationship. He said, guys, you, you got to pick it up, right? Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, speaking physically, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Now, what I want to point out here is that when he says, treat your wife with understanding, that word means with intelligent regard. In other words, get some knowledge. They're not wired and built like you, and you need to get some knowledge about the differences and how they kind of operate. It's going to benefit you. Be a learner. 
I would suggest a lot of times, especially men, they're not learners, right? They're just, they're just going for it, and they're wondering why, why there's so much difference and friction. So I, I have to confess, man, I'm, I'm not a marriage therapist professionally. I, I'm not a sex expert, okay? I'm just kind of just, you know, getting a little uh, uh, out, of, out of my zone right here. But I, I am a learner. I try to read. I try to listen, especially when it comes to counseling and, and relationships. There's way too many divorces. There's way too much frustration and pain and brokenness in marriages. So what do I need to learn as a pastor? What do I need to learn as a husband? And through my research, I've found that, that a lot of times there are some nuances. There are some differences. And a lot of researchers have discovered between men and women, there's two different subconscious questions or insecurities, if you will, that they are grappling with. The researchers say on average, not for all guys, but a lot of guys, they're asking this question, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Now, ladies, I would encourage you to listen up. Because underneath it all, your, your, your husband might think he's got it all together, and he's all macho and stuff, right? But underneath, he's like, man, I got a lot of pressure on my life. Man, my boss wants me to pull it together and do well. I got to be this great dad. I got to be this great husband, right? I, I got to keep my six-pack together. I got to keep my golf game together, right? And I got my finances and all this kind of stuff. I don't know if I have it all together secretly and privately. And so a lot of times they will approach their, their spouse, and that's kind of what they're looking for. They're looking uh, in, in the sexual encounter to kind of uh, answer that question, to affirm them. I love you. You're, you're all that. You can do it. And you're wondering why they, they advance because that's kind of what they're grappling with. Do I have what it takes? In fact, I would throw this in. This is why pornography is so attractive to males because they can instantly kind of get their underlying insecurities answered, not just physically, but emotionally. Because they can turn on that laptop or that phone and there's some strange lady who's going to take off her clothes and subconsciously is saying to that guy, you are awesome. You are Mr. Everything and I love you and I'm going to just give my body to you. And subconsciously the men are just eating that up. And before you know it, it becomes highly addictive and it starts breaking trust. It starts breaking down in that marriage because that's what's really going on psychologically in their heart. Now, women, they're kind of asking a different question. On average, underneath there, they're asking, does he really love me and think I'm beautiful? I really need to know if he loves me and thinks I'm beautiful because a lot of times women are really um, barraged by images and voices that question their beauty and their value. Whoa, look how beautiful that woman is. And, and their man is all uh, you know, distracted and he's doing this and this and that. And they're kind of like, hey, man, do you really love me? Am I that valuable? And I don't know. I got things changing in my body and my life, right? I don't know if I'm that beautiful. I need someone to reassure me that I'm valuable, that I'm loved, and I'm beautiful because I question it a lot. And men really don't know how to answer that half the time. They, wow. It's like the one wife who asked the husband after a couple of years of marriage, says, man, do you love me? He's like, sure, I love you. I married you, didn't I? Guys, that doesn't cut it, Okay. They need more than that. It's somewhere you got to reassure them. God's design is for us to help answer those insecurities and questions and inside of a covenant marriage. 
This is where the intimacy comes in. This is where we bless each other. This is where we help each other. So when we learn, we grow. We're becoming more um, uh, informed on how we bless each other and help each other, especially when it comes to intimacy. For instance, uh, I've learned a long time ago uh, that we are kind of wired differently. And in fact, in my marriage counseling, premarital counseling for couples, we'll talk about some differences, you know, and trying to keep it together. And we'll come to the intimacy sex part, right? And the best advice that I've read and I give all the time, and I say to the guy and the gal, I say, Here, here's the deal about sex, okay? Guys are wired like microwaves and ladies are wired like crockpots. Can I get an amen, right? And I was just, I'm looking at the bride. I'm like, hey, man, you're going to be marrying this guy. He's a microwave. So be ready. I mean, all it takes is a couple of buttons pushed and a couple of this and that, and he's ready to go. Okay? And then the guy, he, she's like, he's like, I'm pushing my buttons. And I'm like, yeah. She's not a microwave, man. She's going to take a lot of more warm-up time, right? So be aware of that. There are some nuances and some changes because we just view things differently and we approach things differently. This was reinforced when I heard a long time ago uh, a quote by Josh McDowell. I was a youth pastor, and every year we'd do some kind of curriculum on sex and dating, right? And he had a beautiful curriculum about it. And I'll never forget this, this quote that really uh, reinforces this idea about how we see it differently and these questions and these insecurities. He says, boys are notorious for playing with love to get sex. Girls are notorious for playing with sex to get love. And when I processed that and I thought about all the people and the kids that I've known, that is so true. Oh my goodness. Guys, we play that game, right? Uh, girls, you need to wake up to this. Oh, they are notorious to be so sweet-talking, right? They're bringing you flowers, and they're promising this and that. And, oh, I love you. You're just so beautiful. Because a lot of times, boys and guys have a drive that they're wanting to get to that bed, right? And you got to wake up to that. And then at the same time, girls, they're going to play around with sex because they're really wanting that guy to love them. If they have to show a little bit more skin, if they have to be a little bit more aggressive, hopefully the guy will stay with me. I want him to love me, not for my body, but for who I am. So if I have to compromise here, I'm willing to do that. And friends, I've seen so many people cross boundaries. So many people take the bait. And all of a sudden, months later, there's regret and there is pain. I can't tell you how many single moms that I've met I'm thinking to myself, where, where's the guy? Where's the husband? Well, he really loved me before, man. He said all these things, and he'd go to the moon and back and stuff, and all of a sudden, kids show up, and he bails out. No, I, I'm not in for that, right? Because he wanted the sex, but without the, the, the cost of loving in a more committed, enduring way. And frankly, sometimes this shows up in marriages, right? Guys still play this game in their old age with, with their spouse or their, their wife might. They might all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're being all sweet and nice to their wife, right? Hey, hey, looking good, right? And a lot of times the women are like, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're driving at, right? I know what you're driving at. And they're like, what's your problem? And the wives are like, where have you been all week, right? Why didn't you say all these things through the week and now? You, you, you got, you're in the mood. You want me to be in the mood. And it's, a lot of times, it's a turnoff. 
Because what we discovered in marriages, especially in, in, in the sexual intimacy part, is that sexual intimacy is so much more emotional than physical. So much more emotional than physical. This is what they didn't tell me, right? When I got married, right? Uh, th- there were some things I needed to learn. I'll never forget in the 1990s, <clears throat> there was a book that came out by Shante Feldholm that was uh, a, a earth-shaking Christian marriage book. Um, this book for, for, women's, um, for women only. Let's see if we can get that up there. Whew. For women only, has sold over 23, uh, I'm sorry, 2 million copies. It's in 23 different languages. And this Shante Feldham was kind of looking, hey, what is, what is behind this drive of men? Is it just physical? Do they just want to have a, a lot of sex? Or is there some other nuances and stuff we need to wake up to? And so she writes this book, What You Need to Know, speaking of women, about the inner lives of men. And inside her book, she writes this. Between television, steamy movies, love scenes, and conventional wisdom of your girlfriends at work, it's easy to think that men care, only care about one thing. And once we subconsciously believe that myth, his desire for sex can be frank, frankly come off as primal and selfish demand. After all, she says, with everything we have to handle as a wife and a mom, sometimes sex, uh, physical intimacy can seem like just another thing to check off the to-do list. How many women could resonate with that? She continues on in her research and in her book to women. She found, during my research about men for women only, I was surprised to learn that most men... Times of sexual intimacy are main times where oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is a bonding hormone. Those are the moments when the man feels so incredibly close to you that all important connection hormone is built into him. It's that welding process. And I would submit to you that's exactly what God designed men to have. That there is a drive to, to pursue women, to, to have that sex. In fact, that's going to procreate and continue the human population if men are not driven to, to procreate and, and create babies and children and families, etc. Now, with that said, this engagement uh, is tricky. It's complicated, no doubt about it. Again, there's a lot of friction and disappointment and frustration but intimacy is not about you, it's not about I, but it can be about us if we see it that way. That's why the first two sermons are so important. If you want to, to improve your intimacy, you got to go backwards. You got to be a learner. You got to bring down the trust. You got to kind of get on the same side of the table when this issue of where we see our intimacy, our sex life, if you will, as a married couple. Shante, Shante Feldholm asked ladies, do you want a confident, strong, engaged husband? Then you might reconsider how you view sexual intimacy. Because that guy is always asking, man, do I have what it takes? Now, friends and, and the guys, let me just speak here for a second. Our value and our strength doesn't come from our wives. Yes, we appreciate them affirming. We appreciate them uh, reinforcing us. 
But if you're just relying on your wife to reinforce your value and your esteem, man, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's too much of a load for women. Women need to understand it. But Christ can be our value. It's not in our career. It's not in our bank account. It's not in our muscles. It's how Christ loved us and died on the cross for him, that he is our Abba Father. We can be secure. We can be whole. We can be free. We can be strong. We can be courageous in Christ alone, like the song that we, we sang. And thus, we can bring ourselves and not some wimpy, oh, I need you to our wives, but say, I would appreciate as you pursue your wife. Now, now, women, if, if you will, I, I would just suggest to, to really kind of look out how you respond to your husband's approach. Researchers tell us that 85% of the men will be the requesters, right? They're like, yeah, I understand that, right? 85% of the men, here, here comes the men, right? And the underlying question is, man, I love you, but I, you know, I just would like to have some love right here, right? And how you deal with that is so vital, it can make a break a man. It doesn't mean that you always have to be submissive and you always have to say, okay. But if, if it's not, then how you just kind of respond and say, hey, maybe not tonight. But I want you to know I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate you with you for our family. Uh, I think you're handsome. And, and maybe, maybe tomorrow night. Or let's, let's kind of plan that for our date coming up. But how we respond to a man's request can make or break because underlying, there is some insecurities and they're coming for you to, to attach in that intimacy that God is divine. Now, guys, let's talk to you. How you respond to your wife is vitally important. Because women, and just give me a little grace here, right? Um, women are a little bit more complex than you, all right? I, I, the researchers tell us that they got a lot more going on than we realize in their minds and their bodies. There's a lot of stuff, right? And so when we approach, right, and they're like, well, I, I'm not in the mood or no thanks, right? We have a hard time dealing with that. We just think it's a physical thing. We just kind of make it, take it personally. But a lot of times underneath the surface, the women are like, man, there's some stuff going on. This is why in the friendship time, you're, you're taking time to say, hey, are you carrying anything? Because I noticed you, you haven't really been spunky. I noticed, I noticed that you really haven't been in the mood. It's not you sometimes, guys. It's maybe what's happening at work. Maybe what's happening in their, in their families or relatives. Maybe they're worried about their kid. And they're really not ready to be involved with you physically because there's something spinning in their mind. If you take time to say, man, tell me what you're carrying. I'd like to listen and just kind of work with that. Maybe there's something that happened four weeks ago that's really been bugging them. They just submerged it. And if that doesn't get lifted up, that wall's being built, and the bedroom thing doesn't do very well. But if you work the trust, say, man, I, I, I want you to tell me if I've hurt you, if I've cut you, if I've scratched you. Let, let's talk about that. Before you know it, that healing and that trust can be resolved. But a wife is really more complex, like this crock pot that takes a lot of interactions before she is ready to meet you. In fact, I appreciate what Dr. Randall Schroeder said in The Practices of a Happy Marriage. He says, a wife must feel, get this, guys, a wife must feel valid and cherished before she wants to be sexually intimate. She's got to be valued and cherished because that's her question. Do you really love me? Because there's a lot of other ladies out there that look a lot better than me. You know, I know you've been busy. Do you love me? Am I really beautiful and pretty? I need to know that before I'm really kind of in the mood. 
Now, to help us guys, I want to offer five all-star moves for Christian men. You want a little bit of benefit, intimacy benefit? Let me offer you five uh, all-star moves by Christian men, okay? The first one is, number five, court your wife. Court your wife. Some of you are like, oh, I kind of know that, Jim, right? Take her on a date. Yeah, but life is busy. And when's the last time you say, hey, let's, let's plan. Would you like to go on a date? Let's go out for dinner or something, right? And it's not just once a month kind of deal. It's quartered her through the day. So how about your eye contact? Are you putting down your laptop? You put down your phone when she's trying to tell you something what happened at work and the kids, are you paying attention? Are you valuing her? And every time you touch her, does it have to go to some place or can you touch your wife in a non-sexual way to just affirm her and value her and say, man, I think you're, you're beautiful. Yeah, I love you so much. See, this is the characteristics of Christ. That he doesn't always have an agenda. That he's just courting and loving and, and uh, showing appreciation to them of caring. So court your wife all through the week. Just love as Christ loved the church. Number four, all-star moves for, for men is take care of yourself. Morally, spiritually, and physically. Take care of yourself. Men are notorious for like, hey, I got married. Right, so I can just kind of be a slob, right? Kind of be lazy and out of shape. That's not a big turn on for women, right? And a lot of times the women are the ones who mature. The women are the ones who are carrying the, the water around in your families with so guys just kind of towing around just on, on the TV, right? And they say, hey, baby, how you feeling tonight? They're like, man, that's not very attractive, right? So are you maturing? I love the question that was asked to a mom. Uh, this person asked the mom, which one of your kids will never grow up and move out of your house? And the mom said, it's my husband. He's never going to grow up and move out, right? That's so common. So guys, you got to kind of step up. You got to take care of yourself physically. You got to take care of yourself morally, right? Uh, the pornography thing is just a marriage killer, man. And if you're looking, checking out other women and stuff like this, and you're not living for Christ a lot of times, that's not a big turn on. That's a turn off. So if you want to be an all-star, take care of yourself. Number three, give her some anticipation time. This is a major move. Again, I know we're wired like microwaves, but your wife is not a microwave and she needs some anticipation time. Maybe when you first got married and you're young, but the older we get, maybe it takes a little longer time, right? So, so anticipate uh, something, you know, maybe you can say something like, hey, I just want you to know tomorrow night I'm available. Just saying, okay, tomorrow night I'd be available. Just, just saying, right? Or, or you could say, hey, hey, maybe, you know, hey, this Friday, you know, this Friday we're going on a date or something. I just, Hey, I'd be available, right? She needs some time to process. She needs some time to anticipate. And just give her that. She'll be more receptive if you give her some anticipation time. Number two, all-star Christian moves, is take spiritual leadership. Take spiritual leadership. I think a lot of times, uh, usually, on average, the women who are notorious for taking spiritual leadership like, let's kids, let's go to church. You know, don't say those words. Don't lie. Let's try to follow Jesus right. And they're carrying the water, the heavy weight. And the guy, he's like, oh, whatever, uh, right? And then when the guys wanted to get together, they're just like, okay, maybe, right. But guys, if you would take that spiritual leadership, you know, let's go to church, kids. Tomorrow we're going to church. You lead the way, right? You say a prayer at dinner. You're, you, she finds you reading the Bible, 
right? She finds you reading some books to mature yourself and know about Christ. And here's, here's a bonus for you. Sometimes your wife is really going to need you to come through. She's going to come home and there's going to be maybe a crisis. Something went on at work. Something's just melting her down. My friends, if you have the courage, guys, this is a major all-star move, right? If you say, would you mind if I pray for you right now? I'd like to just pray for you. And you maybe laid your hand on their shoulder and just said, let's pray. And you prayed out loud for your wife right there in her tears. That's her knight in shining armor. That's the man that comes through in chivalry. It's not easy, but it takes a lot of courage. She's wanting you to step up. That's a high turn on for her. And number one, all-star moves for Christian men is to remind her in ways that she is so valuable and that she is beautiful. Remind her. Because a lot of times, she's being dragged down by the world. She's questioning her beauty. She's questioning her love. And so how can we appreciate our wives? Uh, You might do some research about love languages. What really um, um, benefits her? Is it uh, words of affirmation? Is, Is it touch? Is it gifts? Is it quality time? Find your, your spouse's love language and lean into that and show that you love them, appreciate them. Before you know it, there is more of an appetite. There is more of this bonding together because we learn that there is some differences in men and women. We learn that it's not just physical and sexual, but it's a lot of times it's emotional. We learn that God's designed intimacy to deepen our marriage bonds. But it starts with that trust. It starts with that friendship of growing together and even can spill over into our intimacy sexually with each other. And God gives us the benefit to walk through difficult days, difficult lives as a man and woman who pledged their fidelity and their life together. So let's, let's kind of close up and, and pray. Why don't we stand with me? Appreciate you watching today. Appreciate you attending today. I know it's kind of an awkward subject, uh, but it's an important subject. And God wants marriages and families to thrive. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we know there's so much brokenness in families today. We can all think of relatives and friends, maybe that uh, their marriage broke apart. It's just hurt. And um, we know even maybe for some of our own marriages, there's difficulties and there can be uh, frustrations. And we just pray, God, that you would help us um, to be humble, to be moldable. God, there might be some need of repentance, that we have approached our spouse more of in a selfish way. We haven't taken time to learn. We haven't taken time to be sensitive to how they view even the intimacy uh, part of marriages. We repent Help us to mature. Help us to grow more like you. And Father God, I pray that we would have a high view of sexuality. That it's just not something to explore. It's something to just give away to anybody that we might have feelings with. But it's something that you've given to us to offer our, our spouse. Help us to have that kind of view. And help us, God, to be learners. Help us to be patient with each other. Help us to be understanding and knowledgeable about our spouse, not just the outer, but the inner. We need you. We love you. And we pray. And uh, we we pray, God, for people that might not be married and younger people, that you would also let them know that they are highly valued, 
Uh, their, their esteem and their worth is not if they're married or not. God, their esteem is on the cross, that you believed in them so much that you give them new life through your love. Help us now and go and be your ambassadors. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.